0: This is The Worker Experience, a podcast that's speaking directly to employees, hosted by Edgar Jatu, Executive Director of Workplace Fairness, an advocacy organization that developed and maintains the number one free online resource for workers' rights information.
1: Let's get to work. Hi, everyone. My name is Edgar Jackson, and I'm the host of the Work Experience podcast hosted by Workplace Fairness, an organization that provides free legal resources to the public, educating everyone on employment laws around the country. Um, Today, we'll be talking about disability rights and some of the current trends that are happening and some future things to look look out for um, as the the world of work is changing um, through the pandemic. And today, I'm joined by Brian Est, who graduated from the University of Texas School of Law in 1977? He worked at a legal aid for two years and a private practice for 14 years before joining Disability Rights Texas, a nonprofit corporation advocating for the rights of people with disabilities. Brian has handled a number of disability discrimination and disability rights cases in state and federal court and has written and lectured extensively on these issues. Brian is a past member of the of both the National Employment Law Association and the Texas Employment Law Association. He served as chair of NEOS Disability Rights Group and has also served on the Legal Advocacy Subcommittee of the American Disability Association, as well as on the legal committees of the National Disability Rights Network and of AIDS Services of Austin. Fine, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Thanks, Edgar. Thanks for the invitation and thanks to Workplace Fairness for all the great work you do.
1: Thank you so much and, and absolutely. And so why don't you introduce yourself a little bit more and talk about the work your organization does.
0: Yeah, so uh, Disability Rights Texas is what we call a p or a Protection and Advocacy Organization. And every state has one and they are principally federally funded, although there's other kinds of funding available too. And we all do work on disability rights issues the types of cases we handle vary state by state. In Texas, the PNA uh, Disability Rights Texas does do employment uh, discrimination work. Um, not every PNA does, but we do. Um, but the PNAs around the country are a great resource on a lot of issues for people with disabilities.
1: Well, thank you, Brian. And and so for the novices listening to the podcast today, can you maybe just Talk through the federal and state legal landscape when it comes to disability rights in the workplace.
0: Yeah, so federally, the the main law, the main tool we have is the Americans with Disabilities Act, or the ADA. That's been around for 32 years now, um, and it was amended several years ago to make it uh, even more protective of people with disabilities. In addition to that, there's uh, the Rehabilitation Act of 1973 and that protects um, uh, against disability discrimination in federal sector employment and also in certain uh, 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 other kinds of employment. So those are the two main federal laws. And then we have state laws and obviously they vary around the country. Texas has one that's very similar to the ADA other states don't have them or have ones that are even more protective. And workplace fairness is actually where I go if I'm looking for laws outside of Texas. So I'm familiar with Texas, but um, I don't know what the laws are like in California or New York or Florida or anywhere else. So um, so for an introduction to the kinds of uh, pr- protections under state and local law, I look at workplace fairness.
1: Much appreciated, Brian. Thank you. Um, and has your organization had have, have any recent successes in investing in, uh, in its mission?
0: Yeah, I, I would say so. But they, um, so the, the p and and ours in particular uh, do a lot of work uh, in various areas. And so the most recent cases I can think of are cases involving um, uh, Abuse or neglect uh, in institutions, or by uh, healthcare providers, or the failure to disclose information to us. The PNAS have a right to access to make sure people with disabilities are not being abused or neglected. And sometimes um, governmental entities refuse to turn over records to us so that we can make sure uh, what's going on there. So we've had recent successes in that area. Um, in the employment space, most of what I can think of off the top of my head is our recent settlements. So these could be cases that were in litigation or cases that uh, were pre-litigation. Uh, perhaps we fi- we helped file a charge of discrimination with the EEOC. And while that was working through the process, the case resolved. And so we've had several of those. So we do sort of technical support work, we do handouts and other general information to the public, but we also do direct representation and advice to individual clients.
1: That's that's fantastic. That's um, awesome work, Ryan. Um, Now, obviously we're still in the pandemic and the the world of work has changed drastically uh, because of it. And the question I have for you is, how has the COVID-19 pandemic uh, changed the legal landscape for workers or disabled workers in the workplace.
0: Yeah, and I think in many ways, it's changed it for people with disabilities even more than it's changed it for everybody else, which is already a huge change.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so when, when the pandemic first hit, the thing that was striking was the, um, the risk factors that were identified, and this is all pre-vaccination, pre-good treatment, but the initial risk factors that were identified other than age and smoking were virtually all disabilities. And so for a lot of people with disabilities, uh, there was a much higher risk of a serious case if they got COVID. Um, That's obviously a somewhat different calculus now with uh, vaccines and treatment, um, but not for everyone. There are people that because of disabilities can't take the vaccine, or people who even with the vaccine are going to have a markedly higher risk of getting a serious case than uh, most people will. So that's the first thing we noticed, and or not noticed, but first thing that was obvious to us. And as a result of that, we did a lot of work trying to support workers uh, who needed to telework and then trying to support workers to get to continue to telework at least until some of these um, tools that we now have, the vaccines, the treatment, uh, existed. Um, so that was sort of our, our beginning push during the pandemic. Um, what we're seeing now is sort of second generation, and actually those cases are still working their ways through the courts. Yeah. A few of them have been decided, but because these cases have to go to the EEOC or a, another fair employment practices agency, to be investigated before you can go to court. A lot of those cases from 2020, 2021, are still in the courts. Um, But we're now seeing sort of second generation, these are people who perhaps have COVID or long COVID and either need accommodations because of that or are being discriminated against because of that in ways that are um, perhaps unreasonable. Um, So that's, That's the main thing I would say. One other point, and that is um, we sort of were, many of us were forced into this huge social experiment of social distancing and more to the point teleworking. And um, that was always uh, something that existed for some people, something that was in play for some people, something that courts would consider for some people. But all of a sudden, millions of people who had never teleworked before were now teleworking. and so the the there were questions about um, changes to the normal telework process for people with disabilities that needed uh, changes to that, but also um, a quest questions that still exist about continuing telework, even though sort of the initial um, unchecked stage of the pandemic, um, you know, it's already happened. Um, And so that's a big question for many of us, which is we've seen that teleworking can work for an awful lot of people. Um, Will employers continue to provide it? Will they consider it? Will they offer it? And will courts accept it, um, even though before the pandemic, they were kind of restrictive on when they would approve teleworking?
1: Well, thank you for that perspective, Brian. and on the topic of teleworking, uh, now I agree there is a lot of uncertainty there in terms of what's gonna happen for everyone, quite frankly, but it, it, there has been there has been some conversation around the fact that teleworking in some ways has been helpful to disabled employees and and, and actually you know allowing a lot more disabled workers to enter the workforce. So and um, what do you have to say to that? And do you see a world where um, employers might use something like telework, maybe other technologies to accommodate the civil workers um, in some way?
0: Yeah, to- totally agree with that. I think that um, what we've seen is that teleworking allows people that um, had a very difficult time working in person or couldn't work in person to now be more fully employed. And so it's been a really good thing There's, you know, obviously the need has fostered a lot of technological development, um, you know, just speaking from personal experience, two years ago, uh, you know, it was fairly unusual for me to do remote video stuff and didn't really know how to do it. Um, and now, almost everything I do is that way. Um, And so it does allow people to participate even unrelated to uh, COVID-19. So for example, a person who cannot drive and does not have reliable transportation, Mm -hmm. either because the transportation system where they are is not reliable or because they live somewhere where there is no transportation system, um, then uh, now all of a sudden, the ability to work a lot of different jobs is open to them, so I think that's really a really valuable thing. I think it's, um, I think teleworking is never going to go back in the box. It's it's right. going to be uh, more and more in the economy and more and more in the workplace. Um, but I do think there's still resistance to it um, that pops up here and there, um, and I think the courts have been slow to understand. Um, how feasible it is, how widely used it is. Right. Um, the one thing I would say, sort of the one negative is it could be used to segregate people with disabilities. In other words, it could be that um, people with disabilities can only get jobs where they can't interact in the workplace or interact right. with others. Um, and I think the, the solution to that is simply personal choice. If someone wants a job uh, and wants to do it remotely, then that's what the employer and the employee should work towards. And if a right. person doesn't want to work remotely, but wants to work in the workplace, perhaps with different accommodations, then that should be the goal.
1: Uh, that, that's their perspective there. Um, and certainly empowering civil workers to chart their own path um, and the way they interact with their colleagues and their employers is very important. Uh, beyond the pandemic, or, or at least how the pandemic has affected disabled workers, are there any other trends in disability rights in, in the workplace that you can identify for our listeners?
0: Yeah, there are. Um, so one thing I would say is what we've been seeing, and this is both related to the pandemic, but also before the pandemic, um, is the importance of leave as a reasonable accommodation—a period of medical leave or a period of time away from work—so not working remotely, but not working at all for a period of time—and that is now very widely accepted, but not uniformly accepted as an accommodation. But the details around it are uh, important. So leave has, uh, you know, come to the fore. Another thing that. Another trend that I think we're, uh, you know, it's it's less the last few years and more the coming few years is how much of the job application process has gone online. Mm -hmm. And this is both related to the pandemic, but also unrelated to the pandemic. Um, And then sort of a step further, the way employers or at least sophisticated employers are trying to use artificial intelligence or algorithms or other kinds of technology to screen the applicants they're getting. Um, and there's nothing particularly wrong with that. And it could, for example, be a way to avoid some of the um, sort of implicit bias or explicit bias that hiring officials have, have often had uh, in the past. But if it isn't done carefully, um, it's also a way to build in discrimination against people with disabilities. So for example, if the, if the application process is looking at eye contact, let's say, right. or looking at, uh, or, or listening to the voice, a person's disability could affect that. And if it's, and so some of these things that are thought to be neutral ways of predicting, you know, a good worker um, may, in fact, be um, unintentional ways of screening out people with disabilities. So I yeah. think that's something that we're all seeing the beginning of, and we're all interested in making sure the development doesn't build in discrimination. The EEOC has been very interested in that, and that yeah. issue, has issued guidance uh, about it has had online um, uh, presentations about it. Uh, so I think that's something that I'm uh, expecting to see a lot more of. Um, couple of other things that are not exactly trends, but I think they are trends in the sense that I see more and more of them in the work we do or the cases we see, uh, and that's uh, the protection or lack of protection for workers who have uh, um, uh, an alcohol abuse disorder mm. or who have a, a drug abuse disorder right. or who have a drug abuse disorder. So the rules around that are in some ways kind of clear, but in, in practical terms are not very clear. Um, so I think that's still being, um, you know, resolved. And uh, I think We see more and more of that, both because the laws against, uh, or at least the state and local laws against, marijuana are changing. Right. Also because employers are having a hard time following the rules.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So um, thank you for all of that. That, That's, I think, a lot of information for people to think about and maybe to go back to a couple of things you mentioned on the substance abuse issue what would you say are the common places places where employers mess up when it comes to um handling the request to go to whether it's treatment or someone comes to work um and they're, and they're clearly on you know on something what are the common missteps you're seeing employers make
0: yeah so i think the the Mistakes they make kind of stem from um, a something that is built into the law that is, um, you know, not particularly employee friendly, and that is that with regard to um, unlawful drug use. So, setting aside alcohol for a minute, with regard to yeah. unlawful drug use, there is no protection in the ADA or other federal mm. law for that. And so, someone who comes to work under the influence of an illegal drug or is taking a legal drug illegally Mm -hmm. uh, or cheating on their prescriptions or something like that, they are not protected. And so the employer can take whatever steps they choose to take in that space. So we have that sort of beginning piece, but what we see happening, two things. One is, um, as you said, we have employees coming to the employer and, and saying I have uh, you know, an, an issue and I need to go to rehab. Right. I need to go to rehab and it's going to be for this long and then this is what I'll need after that. Um, and, and you know many employers probably are um, good about it and say, do what you need. Uh, we'll welcome you back. Um, but some are not. And this is an area where the law is kind of unclear. So the law both says that there is protection for people in a rehab program Mm -hmm. and also says that the employer can discriminate against someone who is currently using and currently is defined very broadly to mean like in the last few months. So there's these these sort of inconsistent provisions. Well, I would say they're not inconsistent on the face of it, but courts have made them inconsistent by by extending this currently using to, you know, going back several months. So that's another problem. Um, The third kind of case that we're seeing more and more of are people who are taking lawful medication um, and they're taking it lawfully under a prescription and nothing they are doing is illegal, but the employer kind of freaks out about it. So, for example, a person who has an opioid use disorder a history, right. and they are now on medication therapy um, right. and they make medication for it, and the employer learns of that and reads on, you know, Wikipedia or something that this particular medication can cause drowsiness. Let's say,
1: right.
0: So then they say, "Oh, you can't be drowsy on the job because you are," and then fill in the blank, whatever the job is. So we're gonna. Fire you, um, and that's right. inappropriate because the law says that kind of analysis of safety issues is supposed to be individualized. Right. So if someone is falling asleep all the time and their job is, you know, working at unprotected heights or you know something like that, then they there may be a safety issue. But if they've never had uh, instances of drowsiness, even though it is sometimes reported in the literature. If they've never had an issue, then the employer shouldn't be um, you know, making that joke. Right. So right. That's, that's the third kind of case we see, uh, lawful use, but a bad reaction by the employer.
1: Wow, well, thank you for that, Brian. And, um, and going back to the issue of using the use of technology um, in the workplace, particularly when it comes to hiring, or uh, making hiring decisions, uh, again, another question, the well, same question as before: What kind of missteps are you seeing employers do, and what are what are ways employers can make the use of that technology more fair, um, so that they limit the the discrimination that might might occur with, with the with, with the, techn- how the way technology? How technology work?
0: Yeah, so I mentioned a little bit, of sort of the kinds of things that a uh, artificial intelligence program or an algorithm um, may unintentionally do to screen out people, but taking a step back and looking not so much at the future, but really looking at the reality of it now, um, anytime an employer um, relies solely on, online applications there's a problem so for example or there's a potential problem for example if it is a web based uh, application and the pages are not accessible to pe- to people who are blind but mm-hmm. use a screen reader then they're not going to be able to use it
1: right
0: and if there is an application system for example we and this is uh, these are real world examples that we've seen several of Um, where there is a video that the applicant has to watch and then they're asked some questions about it. Well, if the video is not captioned, then a deaf person can't access that video. And, And it's not that those things are always bad, but you need to be thinking about how you might be screening out things. And at the very least, you need to have an alternative to that process if there is not a way to make it um, accessible. So um, even just having online stuff um, is a potential problem. The other thing we sometimes see with online applications that maybe wouldn't happen if it were a face-to-face interaction is um, typically the employer um, just uses sort of simple yes or no or um, uh, checkboxes to get uh, information back. And they, again, may build in discrimination. So for example, we saw uh, an application process for a lawyer job. And okay. one of the requirements was a driver's license. And in fact, the position did not require driving. Mm. They just sort of routinely have, you know, um, educational level requirements or things like driver's license. And maybe they put that in to have a government ID, but of course there's other kinds of government ID. So again, the employer just needs to think about all the things they have out there, all the ways they interact with the public, and what are the barriers they may be creating either intentionally or unintentionally uh, and how to get away from that.
1: Yeah, thank you for that. Um, And you kind of touched on this earlier, but you know, do you have any other thoughts on ways that employers can create affirming work environments for disabled employees in an increasingly remote and or virtual workplace?
0: Um, yeah, probably nothing uh, very sophisticated or more than anybody else could could say. But I think one of the things that we see, just taking my own workplace as an example is because so many of us are working remotely now, not all of us, but many of us. Um, so the interaction that we used to all have, and the sort of in-person support that we used to get from each other is diminished. Yeah, and So we have to think of ways to um, continue the, you know, that interaction and, and the sense of belonging. And it, it's, particularly an issue if the people that are working remotely are people with disabilities because we want them to feel a part of the workplace and be a part of the workplace and be seen as a part of the workplace. So there's gonna to have to be other ways to, um, you know, make sure that they are um, included. And, you know, it, it's, I've been on, you um, I've been on Zoom meetings where uh, there were supposed to be an interpreter and there wasn't, or there was supposed to be captioning and there wasn't. Mm-hmm. And so uh, so these platforms like Zoom and, and Teams, they are often pretty accessible. They have a lot of tools available to them, but the employer has to know how to use them and mm-hmm. and has to have them in use, or at least invite people to let them know what they need for uh, meetings like that. So. Um, that's what I would say I think um, the level of technology for teleworking and, and remote video contact is has come a long way and it has a lot of good features and most of my clients and my friends with disabilities who use it don't have a problem with it they're very familiar with it very comfortable with it can do lots of stuff with it but it does you do have to make sure that you're <clears throat> thinking ahead about it
1: yeah, so I think a golden rule for employers is to be familiar with the technology out there, take the ones they're using every day, um, because there might be some viable tools that these technologies have to ensure that their entire workforce can feel um, connected to everyone else and, and can feel included, um, whether it's a meeting or a social event that you're doing through Zoom or some other um, platform.
0: Yeah, very good point. So that's the, the obligation of accommodating disabilities is, you know, we mostly think of that as allowing the person to be able to do the essential functions of the job. But it is also required for things like social functions and other things to so that the employee has an equal experience. So when we're having a retreat or right. when we're having some sort of social event, we need to make sure it's inclusive. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, awesome, awesome. So a couple more questions for you. Um, what resources would you encourage both workers and employers to access um, that, you ha- that you might find helpful, whether it's you know, helping people think through reasonable accommodation strategies or, um, or, or how to handle certain conversations around disabilities, or, or just anything that can help ensure that employers feel that they're doing the best they can um, in line with the law and that employees know how to enforce their rights um, when when necessary.
0: Yeah, so uh, start with workplace fairness. So (laughs) I I did have a chance to review the disability page and the the Q&A there and found it very helpful and very robust. Um, And so that gives you an overview of lots of kinds of things to be on the lookout for as an employee with a disability, um, things to consider. Um, so that's a good resource. Our own web page, uh, Disability Rights Texas, we have online resources, uh, similarly, in various topic areas, but including employment. Uh, and they're in Q&A form. We have one that is not yet up, but it will be up soon. And it's a, a, a tool for generating a, a, a request for a reasonable accommodation at work. Oh, nice. And, and so I'm looking forward to that where the individual can answer a few questions or fill in a few blanks and click on a few boxes, and it will um, generate um, a legally sufficient letter. Um, So that kind of thing is is important. Along the accommodation line, uh, that's a very important concept for employees with disabilities generally, that is the employer's obligation to provide a reasonable accommodation if necessary. But one really good resource on that is the Job Accommodation Network. So uh, you can Google Job Accommodation Network or even just JAN, and Mm -hmm. uh, it will come up. And it's useful in a a lot of ways. It it has its own information about requesting accommodations, but it also does things like list common conditions and Mm -hmm. a whole lot of examples of how various manifestations of that condition could be accommodated It will even, um, you know, have a list of companies that provide, let's say, technology to certain things. So it's a a really good uh, resource, both for the individual, but also for the employer. And they're trying to work together to figure out what what might be done, what's best, what do other people do. um, That's a really good resource. Um, So that's where I would start is um, Workplace Fairness, the Job Accommodation Network, also the EEOC website, Um, eeoc.gov. There's a lot of stuff to navigate through, but um, if you get to their um, page for individuals and you look at the protections for people with disabilities, um, there's a lot of resources there. Um, So that can give you the uh, ideas on the kinds of discrimination to watch out for and what you can do about it, um, the kinds of accommodations you might need and how to get them.
1: That's fantastic. Thank you, Brian, for that. And and last question is, how can people find you in your organization?
0: Yeah, so um, our own website is www.drtx.org for Disability Rights Texas. Well, as I say, every state has its own protection and advocacy organization. So uh, you could go to ndrn.org, which is sort of the umbrella organization, and they have uh, a link to the various programs around the country. Um, So if you're in another state, if you're in Maine, and you have a disability related issue in in employment, you could find the main PNA, the main protection advocacy organization. Many of them are called Disability Rights Texas or Disability Rights Maine. They're not right. all worded that way. So you could go there and see if they can help. A couple other things I would mention is if you're to the point of needing legal advice or representation, then besides the PNA and and other people you may be familiar with, and besides the people listed on Workplace Fairness. Um, there are two organizations that have find a lawyer um, or there's an organization that has find a lawyer links, and that is the National Employment Lawyers Association, mm-hmm. NILA. NILA.org. And so you can uh, put in where you are, and it will tell you lawyers that have agreed to take uh, cases in various topic areas. Um, these are all lawyers that represent individuals with disabilities in employment matters. Uh, so that can be a way, if you're to that point, hopefully, you
1: want Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Brian, thank you so much for all the wonderful advice and knowledge that you dropped today. Um, and thank you for all the work you do on behalf of disabled workers in Texas and beyond. And, and thank you for being guests today. And we hope to have you back soon.
0: Thanks, Edgar. And again, thanks to Workplace Fairness for the invitation and for all the work you do. Uh, it's very valuable to me, but I know it's really valuable to people around the country.
1: Thank you so much. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Worker Experience Podcast with your host, Ed Jatou. This episode was produced by Alea Arison and edited by Hai Kun Wang. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from Workplace Fairness, you can follow us on all major social media platforms. If you would like to donate to Workplace Fairness, please head to the link in the show notes or text WRIGHT at 53555 to give. Thanks again and hope you tune in next time.